0: Recorded in the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter where we're learning to walk the Christian walk together. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for life and just pray that your spirit will be with Seth and Wendy, Mags, Mary, whoever's involved in getting this out there. We pray that your spirit will be with us and we'll uh, follow the, the the truth of that spirit, which is love and liberty. And we pray that you will help me speak correctly and to open up the eyes of people who are seeking. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't have much to talk about in terms of announcements, so we're going to get right into the message after this. Let me tell you a quick story. Years ago, uh, I've had kind of a uh, off-and-on relationship with Facebook. I've, I've been on there twice to try to see if I could do it, and I just can't do it. So, But um, we, we, did, we developed a uh, Facebook page, and it was called the HOTM Discussion Group. And Wendy uh, overlooked that and everything else. It was going along great. And there were some people who were involved in that discussion group. And, uh, and what was the guy's first name, Wendy? Well, there was a guy named John. And uh, the discussion group started to turn anti-Sean. And this guy named John in Southern California, he kind of took over uh, the thing, and we just walked away from it. And I said, John, you can do it, but, you know, whatever. And so the HOTM discussion group, it has our logo on it. I said, you can do it. Well, I went back to him when I saw what they were doing with it, when they became so anti, and I said, hey, John, I'd like you to cease and desist operating that thing. And he said, okay, I will. And then he emailed me a couple days later and said, "No, I'm not gonna." So that exists out there. The H O T M discussion group. It has our logo, but there's a guy named John, and there's three other guys on there, and they all they do is spend their time bagging on me. Everything I say, this is their thing. So um, uh, Wendy and and a few others, who I'm I'm not going to name, decided that. We need to do something about that. So they have created the Real HOTM Discussion Group Facebook page. And we would love for you to go on there and you can communicate with each other in community. The Real HOTM Discussion Group. And we also have... We're going to put up a vi- our videos on that. And we also have a discussion group to join. You go to that, you can click on the link and you can join the discussion group. And everybody's welcome as long as you're not an idiot. As long as you are someone who's mean. You can say what you want. And, and Wendy and others are going to police that thing. And they're going to watch over it. But we wanted to confront that phony HOTM discussion group because uh, they represent themselves as us in at least their, their uh, iconography, and now we're giving you the real deal. So if you're a Facebook person, and most of you are, get on Facebook and go to the real HOTM discussion group, join it, start posting, and have at it. Uh, most of you know that I've changed my mind on the Trinity over the past few years. When I came out of Mormonism and into a relationship with uh, Yeshua, I was taught the Trinity. Uh, Even then, I think I misunderstood what it really was, how it's actually defined, which is quite common in Christianity today. James White, he admitted to me uh, on our show that most Christians have the wrong idea of the Trinity when they try to define or explain it. So I started to see chinks in the theory as I studied the Word of God just myself. And then when I had James White or or Matt Slick or Rob Bowman explain the details about the Trinity uh, to me plainly and directly, uh, usually I was good with a lot of it, but it fell apart at certain points and I had to push back. Understand plainly, just hear me clearly. Plainly and clearly, I admit there are manifestations of God, the Father, in the Son and in the Holy Spirit, that the Son and the Holy Spirit are manifestations of God, okay? And please understand when I say that the man, Yeshua, was, bore the fullness of God within him. Understand that. Usually when someone says they're not Trinitarian, they think that I'm saying Jesus wasn't God, uh, uh, with us. That is not what I'm saying. I believe he was. And I believe there's a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. Okay? All manifestations of God. God. <laughs> uh, but where I differ substantially with the Trinity is relative to the end product, which says, creedily, by men, there are three persons, one, two, three persons that make up the one being called God. The three persons make up the one being called God. And that if you take God the Father, He cannot be God without the other two. And that if you take the Son, He cannot be God without the other two. If you take the Spirit, cannot be God without the other two or one of the other two. They all three make up God Himself. All right? And uh, they say that those three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, co-equal and co-eternal in their persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No difference in, in eternality, no difference in power, no difference in glory. No, They're co-equal, all right? And that they all make up the one God, the one God. So this is the image of the Trinity, uh, and it is expressed in a number of ways. For instance, the uh, three-leaf clover, they, sometimes the Irish people, that's the Trinity. The three-leaf clover as a whole is God, and it consists of the three leaves, all right? And there's other, there's other iconography that uses Venn diagrams to show uh, the, the nature of the Trinitarian God. We've done plenty of shows to illustrate how Paul describes the one God Paul over and over calls God even the Father, even the Father, and he calls the uh, Jesus Christ the Lord over and over and over again. But so we're not going to get into that tonight. Instead, I want to show you what men and women have done in the King James to emphasize and push the Trinity out upon us all. Now, this program is especially to a radical group of believers called King James onlyists and King James onlyists say the King James is a perfect Bible. What you have in your hand in the King James is a perfect Bible and all other Bible versions fail by comparison. There are three huge passages in the King James version that support and sustain creedal Trinitarianism. They are 1 John 5, 7. They are Matthew 28:19. And they are the passage I want to talk with you about tonight, which is 1 Timothy 3:16, which says in the King James, which is the Bible I learned out of to be a Christian. Ready? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto Gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory pretty great passage isn't it and it seems to really explain for us not only what Jesus did and went through but it straight up refers to Jesus as God before going through and doing all that he did that's what it says God was manifest in the flesh. So it starts off with the birth of Christ. It says God was manifest in the flesh. Now we have other passages of Scripture that tell us about Yeshua Jesus being God with us. Right? We know that Isaiah nine talks about Him as God, and we know that Matthew one twenty three talks about God with us in the name Emmanuel. That's a title. But there is listen a huge difference between God being with us and God manifesting himself in the flesh. Big difference between God with us and God manifesting himself in the flesh. We have no problem with the notion of God being with us in the man Jesus Christ. In fact, we will even say about other people, God is with him. God is with her. God is with them when they speak, right? We'll use that. So, God being with us is not anything unusual. But this passage in question fully supports the man made Trinitarian notion that a being created as co equal with Father and Spirit named Jesus God, who is co equal and and, and came and manifested himself and then did all the things that Paul describes. That's what it's saying. Jesus God, right? God the Son, which Scripture never says. God the Son manifested Himself. That's what it's implying. But just like 1 John 5, 7, one of the big ones on the Trinity, and Matthew 28, 18, another big one for the Trinity, this passage that I'm reading to you now has been messed with. Doesn't that bug you? It bugs me. In what way? The passage is obviously speaking about Jesus, but where it reads, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. God should not be there. And let me explain how it happened. So I'm going to go to the board. Larry is going to follow me with great cinematic care. He's going to focus on me standing before you. And explaining really quickly what happened. The Greek word for God is theos. Okay. There's another word, oos, which is translated who or which. Okay. So you have theos or you have uh, os, which is who or which. So what happened is someone took os, which is an omnicron. That's, that's the O letter there. And the sigma. And they took that omicron and they did something to it. They added a little mark on the inside of it. And by adding that little mark on the inside of that O that stands for an omnicron, which is pronounced ah, this became a Theta. Which looks like this, and a theta is pronounced th. So th with a sigma is thos, and so o theta sigma became an abbreviation for God. One little mark added to the middle of that omicron. All right. Now, Larry, with cinematic precision, is going to follow me back to my seat, which is nice and sweaty. <sighs> so let's quickly look at the external evidences to support what I'm saying. I just told you what happened. Now let's see if the external evidence is supported. If you look at a Greek interlinear, that is where the Greek is, is described in the, uh, the text. On 1 Timothy 3.16, it verifies the fact that the word theos, meaning God, is not there. Instead, hos, which means which or who is there. So the passage should read, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, who was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached of Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Who obviously refers to Christ, and that makes sense. Which was manifest in the flesh? Obviously makes sense. Godliness, not God. Great is the mystery of godliness who was manifest in the flesh. That makes sense. If you look at a Greek lexicon of 1 Timothy 3.16, it verifies the Greek interlinear translation I just read. The oldest complete Greek New Testament in existence called the Codex Sinaiticus dates back to the 4th century, confirms what I just said. Theos is not there. Only which or who is there. An Arama- Aramaic version of the Bible called the Lamsa Bible dating back to the 5th, 5th century reads the same. Jerome, St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate dating to 405 AD, same. Arminian Bible, the Syriac Peshitta, the Coptic, The Net Bible, which is a translation of the Bible by 25 scholars who are experts in in the biblical languages and work directly with the best manuscripts available recently, Uh, all. Same, same, same. Theos, not there. It seems that the change occurred when someone sought to magnify Jesus as God, coming down in that third, second person, that man, that being, that person, not being, that person coming down, taking on flesh as uh, the second member of the Holy Trinity. When did this happen? The TCGNT, which stands for the Textual Commentary of the Greek New Testament, says this. No uncial, that means firsthand writing, manuscript. No uncial earlier than the 8th or ninth century supports theos, none. So we have early church writers writing and they will cite uh, this passage. Do they add God? They don't until the 8th or 9th century. It's been messed with. Ancient versions presuppose HOS or or Omnicron, who or which, and listen, no patristic writer prior to the last third of the 4th century testifies to the reading of Theos. No patristic writer prior to the last third of the fourth century. So we have Christ the first century up to 100. Then we have 200, 300, and 400. The last third of that, we start to have patristic writers, including Theos in this uh, passage. Which is about the time that the Trinity was formulated and submitted into the understanding of believers in that day. There's a Bible out there known as the Companion Bible, compiled by a guy named Bullinger, in 1910. In its uh, notes, in that Bible, this is what Bollinger writes about what happened to 1 Timothy 3.16. God, the RV prints he who and adds in the margin theos, rests on no sufficient evidence. The probability is that the original reading was ho, which, uh, which, which means which with the Syriac and all Latin versions agree with mysterion, meaning the mystery. The Greek unseal being O, some scribe added the letter S, making O-C, he who, which he he thought made better sense. Later, another put a mark in this O, making the O-C the contraction for uh, theos meaning God. This marks in Codex A in the British Museum is said by some to be in different ink. So you can actually see in Codex A the omicron get changed to a theta by the insertion of that mark in a different color ink. In other words, in some manuscripts where theos is abbreviated as theta chi, O C. You can even see the Omnicron being adulterated by some scribe who wanted that passage to support Christ's divinity from birth as God. But even more telling, what's the internal evidence? This is the part that, that makes... And Aaron Contreras says, Disappointed at Sean for agreeing to almost everything. And you have to understand here, uh, Aaron, Aaron, I'm not a debater. Uh, I don't think it accomplishes anything. I'm really here to understand what people believe. And I will, of course, teach what I believe. That's what I do. But I didn't expect to get in there and try to convert Quaku And I don't know what good it would do for me to contradict him. Uh, it might please you, but it's not going to please the Mormon audience. They're going to hear what they want to hear from uh, Quaku, and I'm going to say what I want to say. So my thing was to make him feel comfortable and make him express his ideas openly and without having that defense. And that's the reason for it. And I'm trying to use that way as a means to further our dialogue with others rather than just combat. I don't think there's any benefit in the James White approach uh, to uh, Scripture, I think it's just a bunch of people saying he won, he won, he's right, he's wrong. It's so stupid. Let's learn what people think. And then in our minds, we can say, boy, I disagree with that or not. Uh, He loves you. So stop it. Show the Joker says the show seems to be simultaneously dogmatic and fluid, appealing only to a subsect of agnostic Christians who have a taste for drama and self aggrandizement. I have no idea what he means by that. I don't think that uh, the viewers have a taste for drama and self aggrandizement. And so, Joker Speaks, I think your name is appropriate. Uh, Holly Draper, I love you, brother Sean. Thank you for those involved. Years of service, talking about the show uh, ending live. Uh, Sean's uh, love for the ministry has changed my life, my walk, and heart. And to learn his word, to know him, shifts every perception within. Thank God, keep growing, too. And that's to all the staff and everybody else who has helped Hart stay on the ground. Uh, Mary Ann Emerson. Wendy cuts out show pieces and puts them up on, uh, to you guys to watch. For some reason, she seems fascinated with putting the segments where I'm my fattest, my hair looks most ridiculous, and I'm wearing my fugliest shirts possible. But she always does that every time. Anyway, she put up the Mormonism Living Prophet Trump's a Dead One show. And Mary Ann Edmondson says Does this mean the words of President Nielsen are more important to the words of Prophet Joseph Smith? Yes, it does. It does. But Nielsen's not going to contradict much of what Smith said, so they don't ever have to worry about that. But if Smith didn't talk about doing one thing and Nielsen does, then they Trump, Nielsen trumps the dead prophet. Follow what the living prophet says. Good question. Uh, Someone said, makes sense to me relative to the show about Cain and black skin. And then on Mormonism, loving living prophet trumps a dead one. Uh, Design course says, take away the money and lifestyles. And what has any one of them done since Smith? Zero. Have you noticed they only threaten the backsliders of LDS? They offer no insight into the future, but just, Dally around with the love card if you stay loyal. They introduce the idea of scripture mixed with poo. <laughs> mixed with poo. Uh, but they say that the, the, to the world, how can we be accused of scripture with pew when we are the ones who highlighted its existence? Your enemy since kindergarten was the first to use such a tactic. Or have you forgotten? All right. There's that comment. Not much to say. Uh, S. Chris says uh, from Randy's story. I, this was a recent clip. I wasn't. I was still obese, but I was wearing a nicer shirt and my hair sheep. He said, "Do you love me? Love for Christ." However, I totally agree with the points he's making. The pastoral position, as we know it today, is being abused and misabused by some people, and we need to get rid of that, especially what's now called celebrity pastors. Christians in leadership position or positions of influence should ultimately point others to Christ and His Word. God bless. That's his comment. Sean, according to you, nobody goes to hell. Dang it. Nobody goes to hell. Um, and let me comment on that if I can get back to it. No repentance necessary. That's relative to Randy's story. And this was from Atnan Luca. Listen, hell was a reality. It was it was called Sheol by the Jews. It was called Hades by the Greeks. What does it mean? It means the departed place. It means the covered place. It means the grave. That's what it meant. Okay. And it was a place of great mourning or great rest. Because when you went to the departed place, here's God, here's earth. Everybody before Christ died, went to the the covered place. Covered, right? And they went either to the paradise part or they went to the prison part. Prison, not fun. Gnashing of teeth, not a good place. Dark, ugly, not the fiery place. Okay? And then people who died in faith, Abraham, went to Abraham's bosom, the paradise place. All of that before Jesus dies. Jesus dies. He resurrects. He ascends to the Father. He promises to come back. He comes back with vengeance upon those who didn't receive him from his own and, re- and glory with those who received him. And guess what it says in Revelation? He took hell. He took Sheol. And he empties it. He took it with him. It does not exist anymore in that state of when you die, you go to the uh, place of, of mourning and suffering. All right? You go to a place that is fitted for you according to the life that you live. Did you receive Christ? Will you live with God? Will you not live with God? That's what it amounts to now. But the idea of the hell of people going in there forever burning uh, forever and ever and ever, it's even misunderstood in what it really was. It was just the covered place. That's all it was. But it is done away with. Hell gives up her dead, it says in scripture. And I believe that happened. So. Um, nobody goes to hell. That's correct. That's right. Because that's what Scripture says, not me. The second thing is no repentance necessary. All right, listen. It's really simple, the concept. Religion teaches repent and then you'll be worthy. Christianity teaches receive Christ through faith and then you're worthy and then you'll repent. Repent. What does repent mean? It means you change your mind. Repent does not mean you change your action. It means you change your mind. So, in the Christian sense, I believe in Christ Jesus. I have uh, received him by faith. My life changes. I then say, I repent for uh, looking at porn, right? I repent of that. And then I look at it again. Do I know when I look at it again that it's not right? My mind knows it's not right, but my body's weak. So my mind has changed about porn, but my mind but my body hasn't conformed yet. So you can re- have repented in the Christian sense while still being involved in the activities that are bad. In the religious sense, if you have to repent, what they're saying is change your mind and your actions. So what they're saying is repentance means change your mind and actions, and then you will be worthy. And so people are constantly in the state of never being worthy and never receiving Christ and never having him work with them because they go back to their actions. That's not the Christian understanding of repentance. The Christian understanding, again, for emphasis, is you receive Christ by faith. He changes you. He gives you a new heart and your mind is changed towards sin. You know that banging your neighbor, looking at porn, getting uh, drunk every day of your life, uh, all those things, lying, stealing, being mean are wrong as a Christian. Sometimes your flesh fails. It doesn't mean you haven't repented. Your mind has. Now, if you show me a Christian who says, I have received Christ and it's okay to to, uh, do my neighbor. They're somebody who needs to rethink their thinking. But a Christian who knows who God is by the Spirit knows what sin is. It's just their flesh sometimes uh, fails. So that if you get the idea that repentance isn't necessary, it's based off that commentary, not the idea of uh, religion in and of itself. Uh, I talked about God in suffering in show 61B. Ex-Bronco said, we go to dentists because we have sugary diets. Thousand years ago, people ate very little sugar and didn't need to brush their teeth. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I mean, maybe true. It seems like it's true. makes sense. But to not, I know they didn't have to brush their teeth, but did they have a full set of teeth throughout their life? If they ate, you know, I don't know. Did they ever get decay? So I'm not sure that's completely true. Sarah says, regarding Randy's story, sorry for your loss, brother, and it was a loss. Going off the air live, Steve Knubel says, we've known Sean a long time. Thank you for always being there, continue to be there. Once again, you've hit it out of the park. Agape love, exclamation point. Vincent Swahil, uh, relative to Randy's story, says, Mormonism describes the Catholic Church as the Church of Satan. As an evangelical, I think there's a lot about Calvinism about Catholicism That can and should be criticized, but to call the entire church the church of the devil also means all their members are of the devil, and that is blasphemous. The apostles of the Mormon church should be careful about what they're saying, especially when you think you speak on behalf of God or gods, which is, I'm not sure what they believe. Um, I won't say more on that. Uh, but just to let you know that when I look at commentary on scripture relative to Catholicism, evangelicals—I think the Mormons borrowed it from evangelicals—that the Catholic Church is the spawn of Satan, that the Catholic Church, and they make the Catholic Church fit in many. That's the Protestant way. So I think the Mormons borrowed it from them. Uh, Ken Olson says to Randy's story: Meth is no joke. It destroys both body and soul. Sorry for your loss. If you don't know what we're talking about, watch Randy's story. Uh, That's up on, uh, available to you now. Love this brother, you're so right, says Seek Find. Um, Seth's logo editorial speaks volumes. Sir Les says that regarding religious manipulation show 37B. Seth, do you remember what your editorial logo was? Ah, it's the waving of the white handkerchief. Uh, very well set, Sir Les. Good job, Seth. Um, Spicy Beans, not my favorite name, says, relative to he loves you, so stop it. Thanks for all you've done. Been there the entire time and not going anywhere. Awesome. Thanks, Spicy Beans, (laughs) which I'm kind of embarrassed to even say. Um, all right, really quickly, we'll read this. I don't know what it says. Dark World Story Blank face Productions. Oh, no, I can't read that. That is just way too long. So I'll have to get to that maybe another time when I can address it. Uh, Jimbo Snowberger says, After my Mormon history lesson, I'm left non-trusting. And you know, that is the problem. That is one of the main problems with Mormonism is that it fed all of us a big bag of lies, and we ate those lies, and we got fat on those lies, and then we found out they were wrong, and we didn't know what to eat any longer, and we don't trust anyone who serves us anything. And uh, it's a really good point. But you know, all religions do that. Uh, There's people who don't tell you the truth. They'll teach their little kids that every animal in the world came to Noah's Ark they all crammed in there, there was enough food, there was enough room for the poop. Uh, God didn't have them eat, God didn't have them poop, God shrunk them down, and they all floated around this whole world for, uh, for, for all this time. And, no, and then when the kid grows up and hears differently, they lose their faith. And so you gotta be really careful what you suggest and teach people uh, as truth as Christians. Uh, Brian Andrews says, I was raised in the Baptist church. Both of my grandfathers were pastors. I'm so thankful for the show. Thank you for helping me change my way of thinking about my relationship with God. Richard Newman, he gives thumbs up. Maranatha Chabvoga says, it's a really short time. I really want to hear more from you. You really lifted me up. Thank you. That's relative to rejected conforma, be cast out believers in the church of Christ. And then relative to the show, Love in the New World Hello to all. Sending my love to Sean and family is what it says. That's from Mel Seeks. I dad said, I never heard a J-Dub talk about warm feelings. That was relative to a show where I talk about how the LDS church talks about warm feelings. And if I included the J-Dub Jehovah's Witnesses in that, I thought they may have. I'm sorry. I probably said the J-Dubs do it too. And so that's a correction probably from I dad. I'll take it. Uh, Brian Gaston on Roman Catholicism and Mormonism is very uh, similar. They have similarities, but Catholicism is Trinitarian. They don't recognize Mormonism as Christian. And, uh, you know, that's funny, isn't it? I I always find that fascinating. These different Protestant groups... That will, or or Catholic groups that will determine who is and who is not Christian when they themselves have a boatload of weird, strange stuff that they believe and practice, and they think they're in the position to say who's Christian and who's not. Now, certainly, when it comes to many things with Mormonism, it's man made, it's uh, not in the uh, Bible, it's not supported by the Bible, no problem. But so is so much other stuff in most religions not supported by the Bible. And so, you know, in the end, everybody's guilty. What are you going to do? We're going to love. We're going to love and we're going to choose to let doctrine and dogma, division, uh, denominationalism go aside and we're going to rise up and we're going to love each other and let God figure out who really knew him and his son and not us. That's the goal. That is what we ought to be doing because we're um, we're becoming mean. We've been mean but we're also becoming more extinct, divide and conquer. We've divided ourselves and we're being conquered bit by bit by this world. And so I think it's time for us to mature, get rid of our debaters who love to go around and be master debaters and tell everybody they're wrong. Let's let those guys go off on their own island. And why don't we just come together and say to the LDS and say to the Catholics and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and everybody else, you want to believe that way? You can, I love you, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I include you? What can I do to make your life better as a follower of Christ? I mean, can't we just embrace that as Christians? Just imagine what would happen to the world of religion. But you know who doesn't want it? The powers that be. I'm gonna stop with this and just rant for a second. It's the powers that be that don't want anything to happen. They want their control. They want their power, they want their money. That's what they want. And so they keep us at odds with each other. It's the same thing if you go back and look at most things in this world. The powers that be keep us in chains. And they do that by keeping us at odds with each other. What would Christianity look like if every Christian said, I embrace Christ by the Spirit the way I know Him. I am not going to debate with you how I'm baptized or you're baptized. If you attend church or not, what church you attend, I'm going to love you. How can I serve? If Christians did that everywhere, to believer and not, we would change the course of this faith. Right now, it's it's just a course in disaster and a course of infighting and ugliness and meanness, and we divided ourselves. And in that state, we are losing ground. So to wrap up the show tonight, I just petition you, become that kind of believer. Let the spirit guide. Don't trust me. Believe the doctrines you want, but just consider it. Let your doctrine be love. Let it be agape, unconditional love for all people, all the time, everywhere. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.